Glad that you made it this morning. Uh, most of you know that uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I returned from Israel. A group of us had been there, and you know, if you thought I was going to share one time about Israel, you know, you were wrong. Uh, it'll show up periodically because there's so many places, so many things worth seeing. And one of the places that we went to, I mentioned briefly last week, but it was Capernaum was one of the places. And I want to show you just a picture of it. It's kind of a composite type of photo here. But if you go to Capernaum today, it's on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful place. I mean, you would want to live there in this location if you, you saw it. There was an ancient synagogue there. The Apostle Peter's house was there. Uh, numerous miracles were performed by Jesus because it became his ministry hub, really, the home base. It was a crossroads in ancient times for uh, the, the, the ancient highways throughout the, the whole of the Middle East, the whole world really crossed at this point. And so when, uh, when he chose this as his ministry home base, it was strategic because from this one place, Jesus could teach or do something and the message spread around the world, at, at the known world of the time, certainly. Uh, in Capernaum, he healed, Jesus healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, he healed the paralyzed man whose friends lowered him through uh, the roof to Jesus, if you remember in Mark 2, the early part of that chapter. Um, Jesus taught in this very place and in this synagogue, not the one that you see, because that synagogue was built around 200 A.D. So Jesus never stepped foot in that synagogue, but it's built upon the foundation of the previous one that Jesus did teach in. And in that particular synagogue, Jesus taught that he was the true bread of life and he did that immediately after feeding the 5,000 uh, people. It was it's, amazing things happened in, in this particular location. Well, I want to begin today's message by talking about another event that took place right there in Capernaum. And you'll see, if you kind of look down here in these bottom two pictures, it was right out along the lake shore where this, uh, where this passage took place. If you have your Bible, open it to uh, Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 13. If we started in the first part, we'd be, look, be looking at the, the story of the paralyzed man. Jesus is teaching in Peter's house in this very community. And literally, it's so, the house is so packed and outside the door is so packed that, uh, that his friends, this guy's friends, dig through the roof. Got a roofer over here. That's traumatic to him to just hear that. But that's, uh, that's what, what they did. They literally dug through the roof so they could lower this man down on a stretcher in front of Jesus and uh, the people he was teaching. And that was the early part of Mark chapter 2. And we pick up at the end of that whole account here in verse 13 where it says that then Jesus went out to the lake shore again. So we saw the lake shore. They went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. 
Now, there's a lot that we learn about Jesus in these verses, and uh, on another week, we'll focus on uh, some other things here. But this morning, what I want us to focus on is this. In these verses, we see that Jesus lived with what I'm calling today a plus one mentality, a plus one mindset. You're thinking to yourself, what do you mean by that? Or you maybe have an idea, but you wonder where I'm going with it. Here's, here's, here's how Jesus lived. Jesus lived with a constant awareness that there was always room for one more among his group. There was always room for one more who didn't know him. There was always room for one more who hadn't taken his teachings and his lifestyle seriously. There was always one more, room for one more who did not know God, one more who could become one of his followers. See, Jesus modeled this. He modeled that God cares about people who may not presently care about Him. I want you to think about that. God cares about people who at the moment don't really care about Him. He thinks of them fondly. He's drawn to them. He's interested in them. He's hoping that they'll have a change of heart. He's hoping that someone will build a relationship and intervene in their lives to change the course, the trajectory of where they're headed. Now, not everybody understands that. In fact, if you read today's passage, uh, you see clearly how some who follow God view people who aren't taking God seriously. They refer to them in the text, if you remember, as scum. Yes, that word is in the Bible. It's in the New Living Translation, at least. There's some other words to use. They're using some of the other translations, a similar description. But look at verse 16. It just says, When the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him, saw Jesus, eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with such scum? I mean, clearly they did not get it. They did not live with a plus one mindset. They lived with what we might call a minus one mindset. I mean, it's like this person minus... And they were, they were quick to exclude from the potential opportunity of following God certain people. And they, that's the mindset of scum. And in the next verse, though, I want you to notice how Jesus views people who aren't taking God or their spiritual life seriously. Look at verse 17. Jesus makes it very clear. It says, when Jesus heard this, he told them, and he says this famous thing, healthy people don't need a doctor. Read the rest of it with me. Sick people do, right? Sick people need a doctor, Jesus is saying. So Jesus lived constantly with a plus one mindset, understanding that those who were not yet taking God seriously were not worthless. What were they? Sick. They were spiritually sick and just didn't know it. Now, I want you to think about this, the simplicity of this. If you get the flu in the next few weeks through the holiday season. I'm praying none of us do, okay? Lord, protect us all. Um, but if you get the flu, does that mean that you are a bad and worthless person? One word answer, no. If you get the flu, that doesn't make you a bad and worthless person. If you were a bad and worthless person who happened to get the flu, you know, you see, that, that's a whole different thing. The flu doesn't affect any of that. If you're sick, it's, it's not about, that is, is no statement of worth or, or lack thereof. In the mindset of God, sin is a sickness of the soul. And you and I play a, a part in it, but it's not entirely our doing. 
Some of it we inherited because of ancestors who did things that we had no control of. Some of it because of parents that do things that we have no control over. Because of circumstantial things around us that we have no control over. Are there choices that we make that maybe bring sin into our lives? Of course. But it's a sickness, a disease of the soul. It damages a person's life. But from God's perspective, it doesn't make them worthless to him. That is precisely why Jesus came to die for you. Because he viewed you as a person of supreme worth to him. Now here's the thing. Jesus lived constantly with this plus one kind of mindset. And if our world is going to become a better place, if you and I are going to achieve the impact in life that God has destined for us, intends for you and me, then every one of us is going to need to embrace a plus one mindset like Jesus did. Every one of us. It's not really an optional kind of thing. It's not like, oh, that's somebody's gift, but not mine. No, this is your destiny as a human being who follows Jesus. To live with a plus one mindset, just as Jesus did. And so for the next few minutes, I want to help you do that from Scripture. I'm I'm going to show you from Uh, Mark chapter 2, the verses we just read, how easy this is. This is what I'm going to be asking you to do based on what Scripture teaches and what Jesus modeled for us is not so complex that you and I cannot do this. It's really a matter of just choosing to walk in the footsteps, to be a disciple, if you will, of Jesus in his way of life and not just one who does whatever comes naturally to me or whatever I want to do. It really is about just following in his footsteps. So for the next few minutes, what I'm going to do is highlight three simple action steps that Jesus took to live out a plus one mindset. And really the bottom line is that if you and I will take these steps, uh, we'll live a plus one mindset by default if we just do this. So I want to draw your attention first off because it's, it's revealed, Jesus' example is revealed in verses 13 and 14. And let's start with verse 13. Just look at that verse with me again. It said, Jesus went out to the lake shore again, taught the crowds that were coming to him. And this first part of verse 14 says, as he walked along, what did he do? He saw Levi. You know, step one, this, I mean, this, simple, this is like ridiculously simple. And so I apologize for that. But this is really simple. As he walked along, what did Jesus do? He saw, he, he, the step one, action, simple action step is just seeing. It's just seeing, just opening our eyes. Jesus saw Levi as he went about his routine activities, walking along the lake shore, teaching the people who are around him. He notices, he notices this guy standing at a tax collector's booth, and he knows the nature of tax collecting in that day. He knows, and he sees something in him that prompts him to want to engage in a conversation. So, So basically, he just, think of it this way, he just intentionally kept his eyes open. He was walking along and, and just noticing, you know, you ever do this? You walk along and you notice that these folks have Chiefs stuff on because it's Chiefs Day. And so, you know, the Chiefs are going to play and we hope they win. You just kind of walk along, you notice stuff like that. And things that are top of mind, you know, oh, that person wears glasses like I do. You know, or you notice it, Jesus is just walking along with top of mind the needs of people, spirituality, just what he's just looking and he's teaching and he's noticing the lake shore, yes, but he's, he's mostly paying attention to people. 
And here's the lesson for you and me. As you and I go through our routine activities, as we go shopping, as we do chauffeur kids, as we work, as we go to neighborhood meetings, as we sit through ball games that seem to go on and on and on sometimes with our kids. Yeah, as, we, as we do these things, as we, as we wait in the lobby of the doctor's office or the dentist's office, as you, wherever you go, here's what we have to think. Who, who do I have proximity to right now who may need to become a disciple of Jesus? Who, who, in my, who in my sphere of influence? It just, it's just looking and thinking that way. It's not just thinking about the next to-do item. You know, or thinking about, oh, that color is beautiful. There's nothing wrong with noticing those things. It's just like, am I noticing the people around? This is what Jesus did. It's the simple action step of just who do I have proximity to who might need to become a disciple of Jesus. And let me just say, in the culture we live in today, that's going to be the majority of people that you brush, you know, brush up against. It just is. We live in a culture where there are people who think they know Jesus, but the truth is, if you evaluate the, the way they live their lives, and I'm not saying judge in a mean-spirited way, I'm just saying just look at what they're doing. They're not following Jesus. They say, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. But the truth of the matter is, they're not. I mean, they're... They don't spend money like they follow Jesus. They don't behave, you know, with, you know, the person that they co work with like they live for Jesus. They don't, I mean, functionally, functionally, they don't. Maybe some of us don't. It really is just a, Jesus uses this language to describe the culture of his day and the culture of ours. You can find it in Luke 10. I'm not going to take you there right now, but. He says, the fields are white to harvest. He's just saying, you look everywhere and there are so many people who need Jesus that like without trying, you can harvest. This is, this is the point he was making of his day. It's a description of our day. But seeing Keeping our eyes open is part of that first, first step. The second step that Jesus took, simple action step to, to live with a plus one mindset that Jesus modeled for us is, shows up in verse 14 where he just spoke. I mean, a, speaking words is a part of the action step process of just living with a mindset that says, I'm going to live with a plus one mindset. And you notice what Jesus says in verse 14. He says to to Levi, uh, just think about what he says. This is not complex. He says, I think the Bible even boils it down for us. Probably he said more than this, but this was the bottom line. Follow me and be my disciple. I want you to think about this. Did you notice Jesus did not invite Levi to synagogue? Say, hey, Levi. Come to synagogue with me. That was not what he did. You notice he, he didn't ask Levi to be best buddies with him. He wasn't looking for a best friend. Was, he wasn't. Doesn't mean he's not going to be friends. Doesn't mean he's not going to be friendly. But that's not the... He says to Levi, I want you to follow me and be my disciple. When Jesus asked this, there's a lot that gets lost in the translation. But let me... Let me, let me give you the idea of what Jesus was really saying to him, and he's saying it to all of us who, 
who think of ourselves as followers of Jesus. This is, this is what he's saying. Why don't you come try living for God like I do? I think he looked at Levi and he just, he sees like, you ever at work and you, just think of this, your, your workplace, you just been a long day and you just kind of sit there and go, because it's exhausting. Another meeting, another email, another text while trying to answer an email, another phone call, another expectation from somebody and you just think to yourself, Can, how am I going to get all this done? And, and, you know, the pressure that just mounts with that. Do you feel that ever? I, I, think, I think Jesus is walking along and he sees Levi out by the lakeshore, what should be a beautiful sight. You know, we, it's, it's an office with a window, okay? He's got the window office, but he's, I think, still just kind of like, and just feeling the weight of the choices that he's made. And Jesus looks at him and says, why, why don't you come try living for God for a while like I do? Why don't you do that? Become my disciple. You know, the word disciple conveys the idea of apprenticeship. We, we understand the idea of apprenticeship, though it's not, we don't use that word very much in our culture anymore. Mostly in our culture, it would be used for like if you're an electrician's apprentice or a plumber's apprentice or something of that sort, right? You know, that's kind of how it's used. If you're a plumber's apprentice, you know what happens, right? If you're a plumber's apprentice, you, get, you come alongside somebody who knows what they're doing as a plumber, right? And you learn from them how to do plumbing, so you learn how to snake a drain, a clogged drain, if you're you know, from the person who knows how to do it. Maybe they describe it to you, and then they, they show you how to do it, and then they kind of coach you through it as they come. And you ask questions. Why would you do it this way? Or why would you use this size of, of snake instead of another size? And, and what do you do when you hit something in stock? And you, you dialogue about these things, and you learn from the, the, the plumber how to fix and replace water heaters and stop leaks and how to install new plumbing and rough-in plumbing and then maybe finish plumbing and how to... You see what I'm saying? It's like this is what an apprentice of a plumber does. Well, a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus learns how to live for God from somebody who's doing it perfectly. Somebody who... Who has forgotten more about how to do that than you or me know? I mean, this is what we're doing. If we become a disciple of Jesus, we're learning from him how God made man to live. Compassionate and loving and self-controlled and gentle. And, and, and not in a forceful, manipulative way, but in a, in a kind and loving way. We, we, this is what he's called us to live out that kind of life. And... We learn how to live holy and compassionate, not just compassionate as though there's no holiness involved or, or not holy in the sense of just like, you know, purity with, without compassion. It's, it's like this, we, we learn the integration of all of these things when we look at Jesus and learn to live like he lived. And so what Jesus is doing is he's coming alongside of Levi, and he's saying, why don't you come try living for God like I do? I mean, look at, look at how I live. Come be my disciple. Now, how's this apply to us? If you and I want to be um, lights in a dark place as it pertains to our faith, if we want to be, live with a plus one kind of mindset, I want to ask you, how far do you think you're going to get if you're just inviting people to church? And that's the word you use. 
not going to get very far, right? Let's just be honest. Hey, come to church with me. What are they going to do? They're going to say, oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's, I'm glad. You might as well have asked them to go to the funeral home with you, okay? Because they think to themselves, I'll show up at church next time there's a funeral or next time there's a wedding. This is our present culture. Maybe it wasn't this way 20 years ago. This is the way it is right now increasingly. You know, they just church funeral home, church funeral home. It's, it's kind of how they think. Our culture thinks this way. And they hear you say, come to church with me. And they say to themselves, say, man, I'm glad church works out for you that way. They're happy for you. But they're about as likely to walk into DW Newcomers and to show up here with you. Does that mean you shouldn't invite them to church? Of course not. It, it, but, but here's what it does mean. You and I need to not invite people to church so much as we invite people to learn to follow and learn from Jesus. We, we've got to bring people to Jesus because let's be honest, the church is a flawed place. Guess what? I'm flawed. By definition, I complicate life here. And the only thing that makes it more complicated is you. Okay? It's you. And the more of you that we add, the more complicated it gets. So if we're just trying to eliminate complications, let's have some more blue chairs, right? This is the way to less complicated church existence. But that is not the pathway to life as a follower, disciple of Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, this is all about filling every one of these blue chairs with somebody else who needs not church. What do they need? Jesus. We all need to learn to live more like Jesus. We need to love like Jesus loves. We need to serve others the way Jesus would serve. We need to learn to vote the way Jesus would vote. We need to learn to treat our children the way Jesus would treat children. We, I could go on and on with this. Do you see where I'm going with this? The ball game is Jesus, not the church. Churches come and go. Jesus lasts. Now here's the thing. If I'm inviting you to follow me, become a disciple of Jesus alongside of me, if I'm inviting you to do that, guess what? You're going to eventually show up here at church. And you're going to eventually show up in women's Bible study or men's Bible study, or you're going to show up in some other places. Because here's the thing, that's where we learn together how to live like Jesus would live and love like Jesus would love and do what Jesus would do. You see? You see the subtle difference? I, I can't tell. This is a pretty good point here I'm making, and I'm not sure if you're tracking with me. And so are you with me? Do you see what I'm saying? This, the subtle difference here? This is not in any way undermining the integrity or value of what we have or what we do. This is about recognizing that the ball game is Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Here's why this is difficult. Jesus spoke to Levi. If you're going to make any progress with people in your life. You're going to have to speak. Say the word with me. Speak. Why do I say that? Because one of the, one of the culturally unacceptable words to say nowadays is Jesus. Right? Let me just poke at that a moment. Sorry. In advance. 
Uh, if I offend any of you, please understand my heart is well-intentioned. It's common nowadays to pray in the name of God, to pray and just say amen. It's common to pray all kinds of things. But what happens if you pray in the name of Jesus? What happens? Right? Is this not what happens? Is this not an illustration of part of what's wrong with our culture today? If the spiritual atmosphere of our world, it's awkward to say the name of Jesus, let me just give you a hint. Say the name Jesus every time you can. If you're a follower of Jesus, say the name of Jesus. Pray the name of Jesus. The disciples, when they pray, if we could go to, I won't take you on another sermon this morning, to Acts, 2, Acts 4, but we could go there because when they prayed in the name of Jesus, people were healed. When they, when they spoke in the name of Jesus, demons not only shuddered, but they left. We live in a culture where there are demons everywhere and we call them by their names, but they're present. And there is sickness everywhere, and we better learn to pray in the name of Jesus. We better learn to speak the name of Jesus, because here's what happens. There's something magnetic and attractive about the name and the person of Jesus. This is why the evil one doesn't want us to speak his name. Now, maybe you say, I'll just mess with you. If you don't want to say Jesus, say it the Hebrew name, Yeshua. Okay? I can give you some other versions of that too. But, this, but here's the thing. You've got to speak the name of Jesus because there, there's no under name under heaven by which you and I can be saved according to Scripture. He's it. He's it. Jesus says, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father's in heaven, my Father who is in heaven. And when he says, confess me before men, part of what he's talking about is speak my name. You know, it's not a big charade or Pictionary game. Of, it's drawing, who are we, who we speaking? Draw, draw a picture of a cross, who is that? You know, the other person wants to lose the game because they don't want to say the name Jesus. This is the culture we live in. Am I making my point? We've got, this is not, this is not rocket science. This is not hard, it's not, not difficult, except that it's countercultural. And Jesus did all kinds of things that were countercultural, not to be obnoxious and annoying. He did it because it really mattered. And friends, this really matters. If we who are his children, his disciples, if we who will one day inherit the kingdom of heaven and heaven, you know, if we can't speak the name of Jesus now, um, you know, it's like Matthew 5 says, we've got, we've got a light and we put it under a bushel. Can't do that. We just have, we have to see, and I'm convinced that more of us see than speak. My challenge to you is be people who speak. If you're going to live with a plus one mindset, at some point, you got to speak. You got to speak. Well, you say, well, there'll be consequences of my work. But let the chips fall where they may. You don't have to be obnoxious. But here's what happens. When you start mentioning the name of Jesus, people suddenly think, 
you really are trying to take this seriously. It will put you in a different category, and some of us don't do it for that reason, but here's the thing. When you do it for that reason, um, you will end up in spiritual conversations that you would never in a million years imagine that you'll be in. But it'll happen because somewhere along the line you spoke the name of Jesus. And then as you invite people to join you in becoming followers of Jesus and His way of doing life, and as you let them know that this is place that we, we worship Him and a place where we look at His Word and we look at Scripture and we try to learn how to be good and godly people and we try to live like Jesus would live. Suddenly church has relevance. It's no longer a funeral home in their mind. It's you have redefined it as a place where I can learn to follow Jesus, which is, duh, for all of us, myself included, what it is. It's not about meetings. It's not about budgets. It's not about a whole lot of things sometimes that we think church is. It's about Jesus. So, the second step, speak. The third action, simple action step that Jesus regularly took to live out his plus one mindset was this, and this is really complicated. He ate. He ate. You see it in the text. Eating. Eating is a, a third step. You know, Jesus understood something that we occasionally forget, that those who live for God and those who don't have something in common. We all eat. Everybody. And so in today's passage, what we really see going on is that, you know, if you want to help someone who needs to know God in his or her life, kind of make some progress and contribute to that, so it's a good place to do that is over dinner, over lunch, over a breakfast in this particular instance, Levi threw a dinner party. And if you notice in the text, the guest list. Look, look at the guest list, verse 15. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. And then the, the text even says, I just want you to know, I didn't put this parenthesis in here. It's actually in the text. I mean, it's like a parenthetical thought the translators did. Just to clarify, I mean, but, but it was originally there. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Just emphasizing that this wasn't a one-off. This wasn't just something that on this weird moment there happened to be a bunch of people there. No, this is just like a normal thing. This was, this was common. That there were tax collectors. And if you know anything about tax collectors, they were liars and cheats and thieves. And they had little or no regard for the poor. And, I mean, they literally made their money by overtaxing you. This was how they did it because Rome didn't pay them to overtax. They let them keep whatever they could, could manage to extract out of you over and above what Rome required. I mean, that was just the nature of tax collecting. And the text even says that there were disreputable sinners there that were invited. And I want you to think about this. There were disreputable sinners there instead of just the usual reputable kind of sinners. Do <laughs> you follow? I mean, this is what we're talking about. Just, this wasn't even normal sinners, reputable ones who had good reputation. These were people who you know, were prostitutes and criminals and you know, rap sheets that would just go on and on and on. I mean, this, this was like, these were bad dudes. In a day before you know, metal detectors and airport scanners and all that kind of stuff. But here was Jesus' goal. Jesus' goal was for the one with the cure to get up close to the ones who were sick. And he recognized that we all got to eat. It's a good time to do it. 
it's a good time to do it. As a beginning and ending, if it gets weird, I know I'm getting out of here eventually. You know? If it goes well, you know, I always plan another meal. This is kind of, you see how the wisdom of God in this kind of thing. And that was what Jesus did. And it worked for him. It worked for the apostles. It's worked for believers throughout the centuries. It can work for you. It can work for you. If you'll have eyes to see and a mouth to speak and the courage to just plan a meal with somebody who needs to become a disciple, a follower of Jesus. So much more could be said, and I will do you the great service of not saying it all. But I want to ask you, how are you reaching out to those in your sphere of relationships who are near you who need Jesus? And notice, I didn't ask, are they going to synagogue, I mean church. I said, do they need Jesus? There are people sitting in church chairs all over the world today who need Jesus. Maybe some of you this morning. The truth is you're sitting here and you, you, you feel like, oop, you noticed I'm sitting in the room. Maybe you do. I mean, it begins just by looking heavenward and just saying, you know, Lord, I, I am. Th- think about this. What's astonishing to me about this particular instance is that the tax collectors and disreputable sinners were okay being with Jesus. Think about that. I mean, they were fine with that. They wanted, they liked being with Jesus. That's why there were so many of this kind of people among Jesus' followers all the time. It wasn't because they weren't choosing to change. That's ridiculous. You can't hang out with Jesus the way he did for long and not spontaneously combust almost. That, that's about what would happen if you just continue in sin indefinitely like that. You eventually become Judas or combust or something. This does not happen. They were with him because guess what? He was like fun to be around. You would want him at your dinner party. You would want him across the table for you at the meal. You would want him in your life. So they're hanging out with him. And, My question for you is, do you recognize how badly people need Jesus for who he really is in their lives and not who they think he is sometimes? And the only way they're going to move from where they are to a place where Jesus, the real Jesus, is a part of their lives and changing them for the better and bringing hope and joy and a purpose to their lives, the only way that's going to happen is if those of us who have the cure get up close enough to those who are sick and we speak. We connect relationally over meals. And and as the opportunity presents itself to let people know that we're, you know, around here, I mean, we are trying to introduce people to Jesus and his way of life and who he is and what his values are what he says and why he says it and trying, trying to internalize all As we do that, bring them with you here. Bring them. Let's partner together with this. I can say things that you can't and you can say things that I can't and we can do things together. You, know, you see what I'm saying? It's just, it is a together sort of thing. This is why God created the church. 
we could kind of do this together. And together, we're a light to the community. Who is a part of your sphere of relationships you need to reach out to that way? You know, I just want to say before I wrap up, <clears throat> Thanksgiving and Christmas are coming. You know, these are opportune times for spiritual conversations. Opportune times for you to, to bring up the name of Jesus, to actually say the name, and people freak out less than normal. Okay? Because guess what? Jesus is the point of Christmas. Our culture may have forgotten that, but if you say it, somewhere back in the recesses of our culture's mind, they know that. Even those who are not followers of Jesus know that. They just know it because of all the debates and for no other reason over whether there should be a nativity on the Capitol steps or not. You see what I'm saying? There's, they know that it's about Jesus. And you can just, just use that to your advantage to just say, you know, have you forgotten what Christmas is really all about, that it's really about Jesus? You know, you can dialogue about that. You can go at it whatever way that God's Spirit leads you, but say the name and invite him. Invite him to learn more about him, about him. Because there's something attractive, magnetic, transformational, powerful about him. Part of what's transformational is the fact that he's alive. So like he hears it when you say his name, you know, if I called you by name, you know, even in this, you'd sit there and you'd know. And I said, hey, Bob, Bob, Bob sits up, right? And I could do that all the way around the room, right? You just hear. He hears when people speak his name. And if you think that his goal was to reach Levi and not your coworker, uh, you need more teaching and you can stay afterwards and we'll talk more. <laughs> but I think you know that his longing was for all of us to know him. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to close in a word of prayer here. I'm going to pray that you'll uh, embrace this plus one mindset as we head into this season where there's just great opportunities. Just take advantage of all of them. The, the fields are white. Let's, um, let's go speak on his behalf a little bit. Lovingly, yes, but purposefully too. Let's bow our heads. And if you have prayer need of any kind, maybe, maybe this morning you know, I was talking to you and you need to embrace Jesus, just invite you to do that kind of with me even as we pray and we can help you arrange things like baptism and others as well afterwards. So, Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your, your favor, your kindness, uh, that you that you were not ashamed of us, but you came. And in fact, you embraced humiliation and suffering that we might know the extent of your affection for us. You love us so much that you would allow yourself to be abused. You would choose it as you did. It's an astonishing thing. Father, forgive us for recognizing love like that and somehow relegating it to um, 
third or fourth or fifth priority in our lives sometimes. Help us to go throughout our day this week and really the rest of our lives, God, help us. Because only you can help us. I mean, we are an ADD generation, all of us. I mean, some of us you maybe have some medications and things with that, but some of us, it's like we still have it. We still have it. And our need, oh God, is for you to help us see the people around us as you see them, not as we sometimes do. Help us to speak on your behalf, not in judgmental, harsh kinds of ways, but in loving, tender-hearted ways, the name of Jesus, wherever we go. God, would you help us to prioritize just some meal times with people around us who need you? So we know that in that process, lives can change, destinies be altered, and your spirit can work. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to engage in those spiritual conversations and, and to be inviting people to join us in following Jesus and learning about his way of life right here whether it's these services or whether it's one of our small groups or whether it's some other context. God, we just ask that you'd help us. Father, some of us here this morning maybe just looking heavenward and we just know that uh, just it's astonishing thought that Levi would leave his job to follow you. Leave his source of income. It wasn't because he was independently wealthy. It was because you were such a valuable discovery to him. Help us to value that way. Maybe some of us this morning are just recognizing that you are valuable beyond what we've thought. As we embrace you, would you cleanse us? Would you choose us as we've chosen you now? And would you guide our steps, transform our lives? We'll give you credit for the good that results. Now go with us, Lord, as we leave. May we walk in your steps. As Jesus, uh, as, as you've taught us and called Levi to do, do for us. Lead us, disciple us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.